0: I, so I got Chris, you know, this musician. I came and turned the microphone on, so that <laughs> tells you how needy I am. And and just to echo what Mike said, you know, a lot of what we do in these conferences literally is from these evaluations. We have a record of them, and we go over them and uh, get great input. From, I mean, we, we're, we've got a room full of leaders, so I mean, you guys have good ideas, you know. So uh, I want to give you a little backstory of this interview. So a few years ago, I guess it's been about. Five years now, Chris. We started working together. Has it been that long? January 2016. For five years, January. You know the date, huh? Yeah. (laughs) And and just, you know, Chris was the youth pastor of the church he's now leading, and uh, of course Carl Catalano was the the senior leader. And by the way, you know, Carl and Don are conspicuously absent. They're always they're just part of who we are. And Don's having some health problems, so if you think about them. You know drop them a text or send them a note or something I know it just I keep looking for them you know Carl is one of those guys that means a lot to me uh, I just feel good when he's in the room you know what I mean and uh, and just as a backstory so I, I called Carl and I said Carl I really need some help network wise with creating some youth movement to help serve some of our churches and could I borrow Chris <laughs> basically And Carl said, what's mine is yours. So they're paying a staff guy, and he's given a lot of hours to NRP. But see, that's part of an apostolic understanding. You know what I mean? Like, it's not our church, it's the church. And I think that's one of the values that we carry in this room, that we love the church so much, we love your church. And that's that's what you guys share. That's what you ladies share. So this this is a demonstration, you know. So over these next these last few years, we've had some tremendous youth things happen, you know. And I'm on a new generation binge right now. I mean, everything in me is like I'm thinking next step. And so uh, after we got done doing, you know, a couple of the youth conferences, it was really Chris that said, you know, we got to do something to help train the youth leaders because they just need help most of them not being full-time vocational people you know they're working a job raising babies and and uh so we started putting some of that together and uh out of this uh chris said to me at one of these things i want to interview you at the youth conference or at the youth leaders conference i'm like uh was that last year or the year before i'm i'm glad you know that. i'm it's all blurred to me and uh he just like quizzed me like What do you need to say to these men and women of God who want to take the next step? Like as a pastor, what do you like? And it was just so real. And we got such good feedback from Chris's idea. So he said to me, he said, we need to flip that interview. (laughs) And, And we've had some very real conversations where I've really said to Chris, you know, over these years, like, like, what is going on in these young people's hearts, you know, in, in, in this generation that you're a part of? So I'm gonna ask him some questions about that today. And I hope uh, both sides will, will take some notes here. I even, uh, I even look at me, Keith Tusa using an iPad. You impressed? <laughs> if, if it doesn't short out, I'll be impressed. Okay. <laughs> okay, so. Okay, but anyway. So, Chris, why do you think the next generation, your generation, uh, is struggling with leadership decisions and the philosophies of my generation? Like, as you look at the church world, there just seems to be a
1: gauntlet that many of them are not getting through. I think there's a theme that I think you'll, you'll see through this conversation that there, there is a massive generation gap. Um, And I think on this side of the table, that's the analogy I like to use is that side of the table, this side of the table. Um, I feel like I'm in a unique position because I just recently crossed sides of the table. (laughs) Um, So I was you pastoring for a while. I was the guy, the next guy up for years. And then now I'm on the other side of the table. And so I think the biggest difference is, is that this generation doesn't feel they have a true seat at the table. Um, I think they're welcomed to the table, but it's kind of like, okay, you're here, but shush. Um, or you have an idea, but it, we, we, that, that idea is not going to work. That idea is not really going to work. And, and there's no dialogue into the thought. It's just, what do you think? The idea is thrown out, and then there's not much dialogue to follow it. And so, guys on this side of the table feel like, well, then you want us in the room, but don't necessarily want to hear what we have to say. Wow. So what's happened to me in the
0: last few years, and, and my wife would even say this, is I'm a better listener than I've ever been before. And one of the ways that happened was was hanging around with some of these guys. I realized this generation's value is in being heard, listen, and not necessarily being agreed with. Right. See, I'm such an action guy. I want you to hear me and agree with me <laughs> or, or tell me why you don't agree so we can do something. But as I, as I got more saturated just spending time with them, I realized they, they, they want to know that you really heard them. And you don't even have to agree with them. But they want to know that you heard them and that meaning that you processed what they said. You
1: didn't just like have an audible ear, but you had an inner ear. I think unknowingly and unintentionally, because we all know the scripture, do not despise, um, do not let them look upon you because you're young. Rather be a model through purity. Um, I think we unknowingly and unintentionally create an age requirement wow. um, in the kingdom, whether we mean to or not, um, to be involved at in senior level decisions or senior level conversations. But then I, mean, I don't know about you, but I know when we come to NRP conferences, um, a lot of times, especially past Keith, we'll use the founders, we'll use the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Well, the guy who wrote that thing was 33. <laughs> John Hancock was 19 years old when the declaration was signed. 19 in 1776. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton, I believe, was 38. 21, 21. Um, yes, I was off on that one, you know. But I think there's this, this thing where, oh, well, you haven't lived long enough to really, to really have input here. When, thankfully, I was told by one of my presbyters, uh, age and experience can be balanced out by word. But how much of the word you know. If wow. I'm bringing word to the table, it doesn't matter if I've got one baby in diapers, you've that's got three in college. <laughs> if I'm bringing scripture and I'm bringing the Holy Spirit to the conversation as a young person, I feel like we need to lean into that because that's what we're looking for in our churches. Is spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled, word-filled young people of the next generation. And so regardless of their are 18, 19, 22, 23 years old, we got to lean into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, General Lafayette. When he came to help Washington, I think was about 20 years old. <laughs> so, you know, we miss these. Uh, you know, and there, there is a vibrancy in a the youth. There, there is something in younger people that has not gotten cynical. They, there's a realm of faith they flow in, they're more creative. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, and I'll just say this to leaders if you talk about the next generation, and you don't get them to see the table, you're actually doing more damage than good because you're producing spiritual frustration, okay? So Chris, what do you think is the biggest weakness, let me put it on you now. What do you think is the biggest weakness in your generation related to moving up in ministry?
1: I have two answers. Okay. Um, The first one is I think there's a misunderstanding between planning and leadership. Um, I think... I'll use the youth ministry analogy for a minute. I think our youth pastors can plan great lock-ins, but they can't attach vision to why we're doing a lock-in. And so we can have this great event, and we can sit with the pastor and get a budget and have this great night. It looks great on Facebook, but the next Wednesday night, no kids come. And there's no continuation of why did we just do this? And when I sit with youth pastors at the youth intensive or the youth camps, that's the number one thing I find is they're full of ideas, but not full of vision. Hmm. And that's, that's a good quote. And I think it's due to everything that they have experienced is lightning fast. So in a lot, I mean, I was like this for a long time. It was because I'm doing the lock-in, I'm going to produce this result because that's what happens. It's fast when the kingdom isn't, the kingdom is usually a process and he takes us from glory to glory to glory. And so I think young people need to understand and learn, and we need your help on how to take this plan that's a great idea and turn it into something that produces vision and pushes vision down, down the road a little bit. That would be the first one. And then the second one, which this is one I'm, I've gotten more passionate about in the last couple of years, is I don't know that my generation understands exactly how spiritual this all is. I genuinely mean that because if you if you listen to a lot of the ministry podcasts and leadership podcasts and books, it's all leadership-based. It's fundamentals and seven processes to a happy marriage and things like that. when when we've gone through decisions in our in our church and Brother Carl, for the next meeting, fast a week. <laughs> and, I, and I remember when that first happened, like my first reaction to the, going to this meeting was not to fast. Then I sit down at the table and he says, did you fast? I'm like, yes, sir. It's like, okay, now we can talk. And I think there's this misunderstanding or just simple ignorance to, no, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of this present age. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the reason your youth ministry is struggling is not because of your budget. It's because you're coming up against a principality Mm -hmm. and you're not going to beat that by having a good event. You're going to beat that on your knees. Mm-hmm. And in prayer and understanding the spiritual side of this, I, I, I find that to be amazing. I, real quick story. I was at a youth camp years ago in Panama City, and um, there was a meeting happening before the service. 2018, I think it was, when we were out in Panama. And I was speaking <clears throat> and running the conference. I mean, you guys know if you run an event, you don't have a whole lot of time to be spiritual when you're so busy being practical. And I remember we got the sound check started and I said, all right, guys, I'll, I'll be gone. I'll be back when service starts. Well, a couple of the youth pastors were trying to find me and they were almost frustrated. They couldn't find me. No, I was in my room seeking the Lord because I had gotten pulled in seven different directions and I didn't want to get in the pulpit like that. And one guy was like, where have you been? I'm like, I've been in prayer. And he's like, but we, we got questions. I'm like, you go talk to Angela. like i gotta go get with god i say that a lot (laughs) because you don't want to hear what chris has to say you want to hear what the lord has to say the teenagers don't need to hear what your youth pastor has to say or what your next generation leader has to say it's Mm got to be the holy spirit coming through that new person yeah and they have to understand that this stuff happens in the spirit Mm -hmm. way before it happens in the natural right Here's what this looks like in the natural. We've seen this. We see a lot
0: of new generation leaders that really seem to have their act together. Like they got spit and polish, but it's more performance than presence. Now, listen, but they don't even know that is what he's saying. Yeah. They don't even know that. They are they are at the realm. They are ankle deep, and they only think the pool's ankle deep. So, like what Pastor Ron was talking about last night They may have read a book about or heard about, but they've never bathed in that pool, at least on any consistent basis. So now, and that's what we're doing in these youth pastors intensives. We're we're really bringing those two streams together to teach them to walk in the presence, but also have outstanding performance in what they're doing. Is that a fair assessment of what Mm -hmm. we're
1: trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. I spoke for a youth camp, not an NRP one. I spoke for a youth conference. And there was no projection. It was kind of a backwoods. We're going to get back to basics. Everybody get your Bible, your notepad. And I was preaching on David and Goliath. And so I told the room, I said, hey, I need some people to go to some scriptures. I'll get you to read it to save time. Uh, And I pointed to the youth pastor. I said, hey, can you go to 1 Samuel 16? This guy went to the table of contents. I wasn't talking about Habakkuk, (laughs) right, where you might get confused and pass it up. This is 1 Samuel. Yeah. He wow. planned the whole event, had games all week. The kids were excited, and he didn't even know where 1 Samuel was. Wow. And he wasn't saved six months. He had been saved a long time. There's a lack of understanding what actually takes place in the spirit. And I see it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Good. This is good stuff. So just to
0: take that kind of question to another level, you know, many young leaders, you know, openly talk about their struggle in relating to people like me, the older generation why do you think that is and how can we both sides
1: address that i think this goes back to that generation gap um when we were preparing this i I said this next statement oh this is i think i know where you're gonna go (laughs) and he he loved it um (laughs) did you know that 2021 is as far away from 1980 as 1980 was from 1939 Say that again. I want you to think about this. Guys my age. 2021 is as far away from 1980 as 1980 was from 1939. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> They're both 41 years. When I said it to him, he was in his garage. And what, what year is your car? It was, uh, the car I was working on was a 1970 and he's, he told me he he said, "Well, you got to say that again." And so I said it again. And he's, he looked at his car and he said, "Huh. I'm standing in front of this car that's from 1970 and I don't think it's old." And I said, "Pastor Keith, that car's 52 years old." Yeah. I said, "That's a classic." Yeah. And he's like, "No, it's not." I'm like, "No, it is. It's a classic." <laughs> yeah, cuz I grew
0: up with that car. You know what I mean? That was that was you know my era. You know, and I know it was a few years old, but I never looked at it as a 52-year-old car. No wonder you can't get parts for it. You know, but, but, but I mean, isn't isn't that that statement when he said that to me really put for me personally help my perspective? You know, I I was preaching in a church, or I think it was a bunch of young, and I made a comment about Forrest Gump, and they didn't know who that was. I was like, really? I mean, who here doesn't know who Forrest Trump is?
1: If half they, you know, but, but anyway. Uh, I think that goes into the generation gap. And yeah. so um, if you think about, I mean, you know this, right? 1903, the Wright brothers have the first flight. 1969, we're on the moon. <laughs> and then 20 years later, it's 89 and the Cold War is ending. And then now we're ordering things and having groceries delivered to our front door. Like the pace of which things have increased has been so drastic. And so that's part of it. But another factor that gets overlooked, and I'm saying this to not necessarily people who've grown up in your homes. This is the homes of the young people that are going to come in, the ha- part of the harvest, right? Yeah, this is important. Right. They're, they grew up. My generation was really the first generation. I'm, I'm an early millennial. I'm not the back half, the really crazy part. I'm the, I'm the front end a little bit here. Um, I don't even like to claim millennials, but it is what it is. Don't point at me, Rick. Don't point at me. Don't point at me. (laughs) But our generation was the first generation from start to finish that grew up where both parents out of the home was the norm. It was the norm. Power statement. So we didn't grow up. Our generation didn't grow up. I I did not know a friend. I had one friend, actually, from elementary school through high school whose mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had one. And so my life, for example, my mom worked at the church, my dad was a private investigator. I got out of high school at 210. We lived around the corner. So I would walk home freshman year of high school. Mom wouldn't get home till around four and my dad was unpredictable because he was a PI. So he'd be home sometimes when I got home, sometimes not till seven o'clock at night. So there were two to three hours every day where I was home by myself or with friends. So the reason that we're okay with communicating and and disagreeing and continuing with each other is because that's how we grew up. We didn't grow up in a constant place of submission. Cause there were vast amounts of time throughout the day where mom and dad just weren't home. Mm -hmm. And so think about your relationship with your peer versus your friend. You're a lot more transparent with your peer. You're a lot more open with your peer. You're a lot more direct with your peer. And I don't think it's disrespectful if my friend calls me out on something. I think he's just being my friend. Well, if that's the relationship and the dynamic I had in my most forming years, I bring that into this relationship, I think I'm being normal. Right. If you say something I say, I don't think that's gonna work. Well, he's probably gonna think I'm being disrespectful when I'm just being transparent. All right. All right. Because I didn't grow up around this my whole life. I grew up around other 16 year olds, other 18 year olds, because that's how it was. So I think the, I also think both sides make assumptions. Yep. Yep. And I think that's the worst part, right? I think that this generation makes the assumption that the older generation doesn't think we know enough, doesn't think we're ready and doesn't think we're mature enough. And regardless of what we, that's why we're running to books and podcasts and manuals to learn all the things, but we learn all the things and we're still not prepared because we don't know the things of the spirit, but we're trying to sound prepared because we want a valuable seat at the table. And I think on the other side, Um, The assumption that I think we're making about you guys is that you don't care. All we are is cogs in the wheel to push your agenda forward. That's a quote that I've heard from another young leader. That my pastor doesn't really care about what I have to say. He's just using me to move the vehicle down down the road. And there are assumptions. I don't think that's the case. At least nobody I've met in NRP if that's the case but that's the assumptions and there are other ones that you know yeah. we could get into but that's right. the biggest one. And the and the other side of that latchkey mentality
0: is that those same people that know all things about electronics and world events they've never been mentored. I mean for they may have good solid parents but they there hasn't been like what Darlene was drilling down on with us. Man that was so I mean I my my heart is still stirred up. Uh what she was drilling down on, they've never experienced that. So that, that gives us both a challenge and an incredible opportunity. The challenge is we've got to be very patient. We've got to be very patient to understand that we're offering them something that they're hungry for but they've never tasted before. So we've got to be very patient, we've got to be very persistent, and we have to be very obvious. One of the things I hear from this side, the pastor side, is I'm trying to mentor them, and what I'm hearing from the young people's side is my pastor's not paying any attention to me. I'm like, okay, these you, you people are in the same room. It's not that obvious to them, while in our generation that would be very obvious what we were doing. Okay, so it's got to be, it, it's gotta be and, very obvious. The other side of it is this. It, it's like sick them to a dog. Once they taste that, You've got somebody running at you at a hundred mile an hour. And that's what's happening in some of our churches right now. That thing has been awakened. And when you get that thing stirred up, you will have no trouble attracting young people, young families, because they're going to be hungry for this manna that they've never tasted before.
1: Again, back to the harvest, the young people that are going to come in from the harvest, doing youth ministry 10 years as the pastor I think when our ministry was the healthiest on my leadership team, I had three kids whose parents weren't divorced. Wow. And I'm pretty sure most of the ones that were divorced came from single-parent single homes. And I'm talking some phenomenal young leaders who really just got a hold of the Lord, but they, I remember 18 years old, a guy, 19 years old, he's proposing and doesn't know how to check his oil. Yeah. Perfect. And a lot of times what happens is there's this, thing in the older generation and maybe not as much from pastors but i've definitely seen it and i've actually had to go to some of the men in our church and gently correct them on it why don't he know how to change uh, check his oil yeah he should just know how to do that mm-hmm. no his dad od'd at nine he nobody showed him he, he didn't get a vehicle at 16 He's working at Save a Lot, making eight dollars an hour, barely affording it, and he don't know how to check the oil. He barely knows how to put gas in it. Yeah. And so, there, and what happens is, when someone of an older generation, it takes one person to make a comment negatively about well, you. Should know that. Yeah. And if that happens, the enemy gets in with the wound of bitterness, and now everybody that has the slightest amount of gray hair in yeah. the head, on their head doesn't care about me. He 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 just did. He doesn't understand what I went through growing up. And we don't. I don't. I mean, I, my, my parents have been together 30, almost 40 years. Right? I grew up. I had, I had the two-parent home, Christian. I didn't relate to them. I finally started understanding. One night we had an event. I had a tie, four ties. For, like, juniors and seniors going to a dance. Didn't know how to tie a tie. Because there was no dad at home. That's a factor we can't lose and we can't forget when these kids are coming in because they might be your, might be your replacement in your church, mm-hmm. right. but they don't know how to check the oil in their car and put a tie on because nobody's ever taught them. I'll tell you a funny story. I had a guy
0: in his 20s that was making six figures, six, making over $100,000 a year. He didn't know there were deposit slips in the back of his checkbook. Everything was done electronically, and we were talking about something, and I said, well, you could just drop that in a night depository. He goes, well, how would I do that? I said, well, you use your deposit slip. What do you mean? I said, look in the back of your checkbook. Well, he hardly ever used a check. So, are are you with me? See, that's that 1939 thing coming to life right there, okay? Uh, So, one of the questions you, rather than like, I can't believe you don't know that, is can I help you with that? Can I help you with that? Here's one of the things I've learned in this mentoring thing. Asking a question usually has more connection ability than making a statement. So, and I'm, you know, I'm, you guys, I mean, I'm pretty strong, I'm pretty opinionated, you know, so I've had to really train myself. Hey, Troy, you know, if I want heckling, I'll go down and stand in front of Planned Parenthood, okay? Who let him in here? So, there are literally times in my mind, these words are about, and, and they just change, and they turn into a question. That That's the love language of this generation, because now you're asking them for information rather than telling them your information. And I'm not saying I've conquered this, but I tell you, I'm definitely on a learning curve because I literally catch myself in those moments, you know? And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm excited about growing in the ministry. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and Chris is and the guys, you know, that some of the other ones you're going to meet later today uh, that are helping us, are they've been, you know, they, they've given so much to me and helped me in this area. So, so here's a $64,000 question if there ever was one. So, if you're pastoring a church and you you don't have a member of the younger generation they're stepping up into their calling people that want to be developed how do you find somebody
1: this next statement i'm going to make with every ounce of reverence and respect and honor that i have (laughs) now troy behave yourself chances are um they were already there and left That's prob- That's probably the reality, um, because the last few things we've talked about are just not being stewarded. We're not learning how to cross those generational lines, we're not learning how to mentor and, and disciple people who didn't have the same upbringing and thinking that we have and understanding, or we simply misidentified them. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that happens a lot of times is when we're looking for the replacement or the next generation, we're looking for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Except when we were stepping into our calling, we did not look like we look now. So that young couple that the husband is, is battling a porn problem and the wife can't stand him at 23 years old and they have two babies and diapers and can't pay their bills. That, that might be them. Huh. They just haven't been discipled, mentored, loved, and trained yet and that, hit by the Holy Ghost. That, that's a prophetic
0: word, I believe. You know what? Again, going back to Darlene's message,
1: she saw that baby and loved him. What are you seeing? Pastor, Pastor Carl has this statement he's made since I know him and every Salvation Altar call. He says that I was a long-haired, dope-smoking hippie. <laughs> in in every sal if you ever hear him make a salvation call, that's what he says. God saved me, I was a long haired dope smoking hippie. And I'm thankful that when he was looking for who he was gonna raise up in ministry, he wasn't looking for little carls as far as ministry wise and being full of the anointing and full of the spirit. He was looking for no that guy's got a calling on his life. He just has some stuff I gotta get out of him and work on him with and deal with him on. Yeah. Because it's not gonna look like you yet. Yeah. It may never look like you. Yeah. It's going to look like who God needs it to be. Right. But Mm -hmm. chances are they they either are already there and they're 16 Mm -hmm. in your youth ministry and they don't look like they can Mm -hmm. tie their shoes. Yeah. Or they were there and maybe, maybe we just missed the opportunity. We didn't identify it and they left.
0: Right. In, in the book I just wrote, The Seduction of Grace, there's a part in there where I tell the story about the home church that Penny and I came out of that was a pipeline of ministry of blasting young people out. I mean, and, and I was the roughest of the rough, you know, and they didn't blink an eye at me. And this was an older man, gray-haired man, you know what I mean? It was like, I've seen God do more with less that was his attitude, you know? <laughs> and that enveloped that church and, and we became the evangelistic center for the region. And I can't tell you how many people in our youth group, huh Penny? I mean I probably say there's probably 20 people from that group that are in full time ministry 40 years later. Okay. And I talk about the application of grace. That's the, the point of that story in there and, and some some standards I think, you know. But anyway. Uh, that, that's really good. I, I think we tend to look at people from where we're at, not where we were and how we got there. And I think, you know, to, to always remind ourselves, you know, how lost we were, whether we were lost up and outers or lost down and outers really doesn't make, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you miss the orbit, you know, you, you, you float in space, you know, you're done. Uh, so uh, that's just really a good point. You know, these are mindsets. Uh, that are projected through how we talk, how we carry ourselves, how we communicate. And uh, sometimes people pick up on things in us that we're not even aware of. Amen? And, uh, you know, that's why it's so important to be around people. Like, like, I remember being on a conference called Brother Rod. It was about four years ago. And we had to speak into a situation and it, this guy, uh, you probably don't even know who it would be. But anyway, it's beside the point. I was just listening how Brother Rod handled that. It, was, it really needed spoken to. But in the way he did that, I called him after the call. I said, Brother Rod, I just learned more on this conference call than I could have on a seminar on how to handle delicate situations. And that was like a watermark, you know. I, I remember that about being your posture, your posture in a situation. Very powerful. So, you know, that's, what, that's what's in our toolbox, guys. That In our DNA, and that's what's in your toolbox. Don't leave that in the box. Take that to work with you. You know, don't try to commit, uh, compete with the guy on TV. He's doing something different than you are probably, all right? Use the tool that God gave you. Operate out of your DNA, not out of somebody else's tactic.
1: I want to give one thought of encouragement because I don't want to just hit that hard line there and then move on to the next question. If they're not in your church now, and even if they did leave, I could tell you where they are. They're in the harvest. John four thirty five. look into the fields, the harvest, they're white. There are gifted young people, talented young people, ready young people who need fathering and mothering and leadership and development, and they're in the harvest. They're, they're the friend of your bass player's son who comes to church when he sleeps by your bass player's house, right? Like that's, that's how we have to start seeing it and identifying it. Well, Pastor Chris, I don't have a great youth ministry. Do you have a teenager? One. Well, he ha- or she has friends. And we go in there, and we go lean after it, and we figure out a way to pull from that one resource. And we're faithful with the little, and then God will give us much.
0: So, Chris, over the last few years, we've done a lot of ministry together. And we talk probably every week almost about something or other, you know, theology or Uh, worldview. You've always got a lot of good questions. And uh, so in that time— I don't like this question. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you if I've ever frustrated you. (laughs) Natalie Paladin, don't
1: clap. I saw that. You can come get the mic if you want, Natalie. Natalie or Rick or Joe can come take this mic if they want.
0: Rick, your name, don't even say a word. (laughs) Ushers. If I, but when I frustrated you, when did I frustrate you, and how did we work
1: through that? Do we have time? Do you want me to like <laughs> give the actual situation? Or there's, no, honestly, there's only been once that there's been a genuine frustration. Do you want me to give this just, story? just the one time you're not healed over yet? Because there had to be others. No, one time that I can remember. Uh, okay. Genuinely. Uh, okay. Um, it was over youth camp. Okay. And I went to you. I'm going to uh-huh. give the story for the sake of the answer. Oh, thank you very much. It's going to be good. <laughs> I had an idea about um, the youth camp was getting expensive and I said hey is there a way that the network can supplement some of the cost to make the registration cheaper for the kids so we can get more kids to come to camp and I, I mean I had I, me and Angela talked and I'm like "Hey, how does this sound I mean I had my I had a little letter I was reading like I was preaching a sermon right and I went to him and he said no I don't think that's going to work <laughs> And I remember saying, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will. <laughs> and he said, no, he said, I think it's important that the young people learn to invest in themselves and put the work in. I said, I, I agree. But I still think this would help. <laughs> and we went around, I think we had like three phone calls about it. And finally, at the end of the last phone call, they said, hey, look, we're not doing it, okay? Let's talk about something else. <laughs> and that frustrated me. But thankfully... Um, I think you had employed Angela to drop hints too. Oh, I'm sure we'd probably tag team. And
0: she's it. a terrible hint giver, by the way. She <laughs> just, she just can't hold back. <clears throat> she just
1: jumps ahead. Thankfully, I was told a statement years ago by Anthony Marquis, if you know who he is. He said, "Amos, three. How can two walk together unless they're in unity or they're in agreement?" Right? He said, "You can be in agreement and disagree over procedure." Oh, that's but good. you can't be in agreement and disagree over principle. And when I grabbed that and chewed on it, I learned how to disagree with the generation in leadership. Because that was a procedural disagreement. Where we, we both still wanted young people to get changed and full of the Holy Ghost and set on fire for the Lord. It was how we were going to do it that was the difference. Because there are going to be procedural differences because a 1970 model vehicle is still new to him. <laughs> so there are going to be procedural differences on how we think, but the principle has to be the same. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 12 with the body, I think if we don't have procedural differences, we don't have enough members of the body involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I need people around me who think differently than me. If not, everything's gonna look very similar. And there's not going to be enough diversity, and we're only going to win one type of person, the one who thinks just like me and looks just like me and votes just like me and talks just like me. Where the kingdom is so much bigger than that, and I need more voices, more input, more thought into that. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be that disagreement. And the one thing I had to say about what he's done in our relationship is he's always letting me disagree with him. Like, that was okay. He never took that as disrespect that I was thinking differently than him or talking differently than him. It was always, what was big for me was he would hear what I would say, but he would always, he wouldn't just say what he was going to do or what we were going to do. He would say why. Mm. Because, see, as the next generation, something that I've always done, and it's, I've always been the youngest of all my friend groups. So all my, my best friends are six, seven years older than me. I've always been the youngest, so I'm used to being in the subordinate position. And so one thing I've always been able to do is with leadership, I'll say this is what I think should happen. Okay, we're not gonna do that. Okay, what I'll do is I'll just file my idea somewhere, and I got the benefit of watching how this thing plays out. Well, if it flops, maybe my maybe when I get in that position, I'll pull out my solution. If that idea works. I'll shred that file mm-hmm. because it doesn't work. That's the benefit I have of being in that mentory position mm-hmm. is that I get to watch him make mistakes or you make mistakes coming up under you. And I get to make mistakes and you get to take the fall for it. It's fantastic. <laughs> As that next person. Um, and it culminated in our relationship. I think it, the best way to really explain this is we had a youth camp in Panama City in 2018, and we could not get in touch with the office. And we had already sent them like this massive deposit, and we had paid 50% upfront, and um, we can't get in touch with them at all. And it's, it's May, and camp is in June, and I have no confirmation on what's going on. And so I finally got in touch with somebody, and I said, hi, will you be at the office on Tuesday? And they said, yes. I said, okay, I'm coming. From where? New Orleans. It's in Panama City, Florida. So I drove, woke up at like 5 in the morning, drove to Panama City, got there for lunch, and walked in, and I laid the whole thing out. They double booked the week. Their office had burnt down. They lost their entire schedule. They double booked the week. They said, well, we're going to put you guys in a tent. (laughs) I said, when were you going to tell me you were going to put us in a tent? (laughs) We thought we told you. No, ma'am. We haven't been told anything. We're going to meet a tent. Okay, you think that's the best idea in June? <laughs>
0: What's
1: well, the only idea we have? And I called him, and I said, hey, I said, here's the situation. What do you want me to do? And he's like, I don't know. I'm not there. <clears throat> and I said, I know. That's why I'm calling you. Because I'm here, and we're talking like, thousands of dollars of all this registration coming in and we got Rick flying in to speak and we got a worship artist coming in who we almost electrocuted by the way that's a fun story um because we were in a tent anyway and he in the rain and he made a statement he tells me he said listen uh he said this you'll learn more today than you will in any Bible college seminar any Bible college class He said, I can't teach you what you're going to learn today. Call me when you're done. Click. (laughs) He said, I'm going to support your decision, whatever it is. I'm like, oh, (laughs) all right, let's see how this goes. But it was the liberty to make the decision, a big one, and then also know that if I made the wrong one, he's going to step up and say, no, this was the situation. It was a hard spot, and I told him to make the decision, and it was the wrong one. He learned from him, won't do it again. But there was the transparency and the, the openness of relationship that was, that was important there. Um, and I think it goes back to, all this goes back to how, this, how you and I even got started. We had a, a pro-life event in Shalmet in 2016 in January. And I was supposed to be working sound for the worship team. They had just got to the hotel and I pulled up to go see what time they wanted to rehearse. They said, oh, we'll be about another hour. We're exhausted. We're going to lay down for a while. I said, okay, great. Well, he's sitting in the lobby just on his phone. And I said, hey, what are you doing? I don't think really, we barely even knew each other. I said, what are you doing, Pastor Keith? And he's like, hoping somebody takes me to eat. <laughs> I'm very predictable. <laughs> and I said, I I got a truck. I, mean, I can take you to eat. It's like, is there a diner somewhere? I'm like, sure. So we sat down at this diner, and we sat down, and it wasn't 90 seconds into the conversation. He just started firing away with questions, which let me know that, you know, at the time he was the number two in the network. The number two in the network flew in from Pennsylvania, and he's asking me these questions. Why is he asking me these questions? Well, then he must see something in me of value. So because he values me, I'm here for the long haul, whatever you want. I'm now going to annoy you with phone calls and text messages and emails. Because so many people in this generation don't know what it's like to be valued by the ones before them. They They don't know. I'm telling you, they do not know. Your kids do because you love the Lord. But most people, most young people do not know what that's like. I, I read a survey by uh,
0: up-and-coming leaders already established in church ministry. They already somewhat recognized youth pastors, executive pastors, worship leaders, you know, children's work, you know, and and they were asked what their greatest frustration was uh, in, in their, you know, sphere of ministry. And it was ironic. What they said was not being responded to, meaning that, when they had ideas, uh, many of them felt like they were free to offer their ideas. Like in the context of their church leadership, it was okay to approach their leaders. It wasn't like a closed-door situation. Like they could go and say, hey, I, I got this idea. And uh, uh, you know, people would say, well, you know, we'll have an elders meeting about it or we'll pray about it. There were different things they said. And then they would said, but then we never heard anything about it again. It was just kind of like dropped. And so what they thought was being communicated to them was it was, you know, a stupid idea or we really didn't follow through. We were just saying that. Uh, but the biggest thing was that they weren't being told why the idea wasn't being executed. They weren't they, – they, it wasn't being used as a training opportunity. And that, that really caught my attention that that was – And these are are already for people, already engaged, you know, that that was the thing they desired from their leader was just feedback. Yeah, they wanted an open door. They wanted a seated table. But what they were craving was feedback on whatever they were offering.
1: Just a a small plug for vision here with the the youth intensives. We are telling the youth pastors that come that you need to be pursuing your lead pastor Absolutely. and his wife. You need to be pers- you need to know what their heart is. You need to know what their vision is. You need to know what their struggles are. You need to be in you need to become one of their adopted children. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to learn from them, especially if you're called to five fold ministry, you're going to pastor a church someday. Your greatest I tell them this, your greatest teacher, your greatest source of information other than the Holy Spirit, preaches every Sunday morning. And it's amazing how many we went to Universal. We came here um, two years ago. We've been in Orlando the past three intensives. Two years ago, we came here and went to went to Universal Studios. And the session before we broke to go for the day, we had some mornings and then went to the park. Was about ha- having your pastor's vision, having your pastor's heart, and how to take that and implement it on a youth ministry level. Because we can't have two visions. We got it. That's division. I don't care if it's the youth and the pastor in the same church. It's still division. And so I hammered them on, you got to know what the vision is of your church. I had two youth pastors in line to ride the Hulk roller coaster. Tell me that, how do I, again, say this with respect, it's not about any of you necessarily, but how do I find out my pastor's vision and heart when my pastor doesn't return my phone calls? When as long as the Wednesday night service is covered, that's the extent of our relationship. It's only business. How do I find his heart? And I said, you sit down with him and you ask him the same question you just asked me. He'll get mad. Okay. Ask him. I, I don't know if I can do that. Because they don't know how to disagree with a the father. They don't, know how to, they don't have those conversations because they never had one. Mm-hmm. And these are the young people that are in our churches that are going to be pastoring the next generation of churches. I'll never forget, Laura Aguilar walked up to me at a YouTube event, I forgot what it was, and the person had just preached about um, homosexuality. This is before same-sex marriage had been passed or anything. And she walks up to me, I don't know if you remember this. She walks up to me, she puts her finger on my face, and she says, your generation has to pass through through this, not ours. She said, you're going to be the ones that have to figure this out and learn how to deal with people who have transitioned and are attending your churches. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if this has happened to you yet, but we have a man... Who has transitioned and came to one of our youth events recently? He was a man, he's six foot three, 280 pounds, and he transitioned. And his daughter is now in a mental institution because she doesn't know how to handle it. And the mom is beside herself, not sure what to do. And he hasn't come to a Sunday yet, but this is normal now. This is becoming the norm in our society and even being celebrated in our society. When someone like that can, can be on the cover of Time magazine, they're going to show up in our churches. Well, the people who are going to pastor through that in its fullness are 23 years old right now. They're 25 years old. They're 33 years old, 34 years old like me. So we need the salt that you have. We need the, the, the diligence that you have. We need the knowledge of the things of the spirit that you have. But chances are you're going to need the strategies that we have.
0: Good. Well said. Well said. Okay, let me – I think it's the last thing. Uh, so, you know, Penny and I, God put it in our heart to do this, this leadership connection. We're inviting key up-and-coming young people from across the network to come to Pittsburgh. We've got two dates this summer. Just – just to hang out with us and just to kind of down. And, and one of the strategies, of course, is for them to meet each other so we can start replicating th- what this looks like in the next generation. Because the connections we have are just, that's why we're here. We're not here because we all have the same theology, we all have the same form of church government. I mean, that's great. But it's because somewhere along the line we, could, we really connected with each other. So and now you're now you're leading a congregation. So what? how does that, like fit in for you like how do you see that
1: I see it as step two of a three or four step process step one is as the pastor of your local church as the pastor of my local church I've got to be the one to identify those people those five-fold people I, I got to be the one because I know them I see them I need to be able to identify okay that person's got it you know how like they talk about in sports the it factor I believe five-fold people have the it factor before they have anything else your discernment just says there's something different about that young person that's 15 years old. To brag for a moment, Caitlin over there, who sang last night, came to church at freshman year. I think she was 14. You were 14, right? First of all, I thought she was 18 because she was taller than me at 14. Um, that's not a knock on her. That's me just being short. Um, and I remember there was just something different about her at 14 years old. And she's now become a spiritual daughter to my wife and I. But it started because there was just discernment said she's different than the three other people sitting next to her on that row. The next part is I got to get her around people who are a little further ahead of her. Because if she stays around the people she's sitting by right now, it'll never be developed. Hmm. And so that's why it's so important to have them at the table. Because if we want them to step up, if you want us, I'll even put me in that. If you want us to step up into that next place, we got to sit there with you. Otherwise, we won't think we can do it. We don't think we belong. And so that's been the, one of the biggest things he's done for me is he's included me in things. And he's asked me questions about things that I'm not in the apostolic team meeting. But he asks me these questions because he sees something in me that probably isn't developed yet. And so with these, what they're doing, with these meetings they're doing is once you find that couple or those two couples, because I've got two that we're working on trying to send, get them around people like them and ahead of them so they can get used to being comfortable in that setting. Because mm. if not, they're going to go back to the same yokel jokels they've been hanging out with and they're never going to begin to walk and see who they are. Right? Where did Samuel live? Samuel didn't stay with Hannah. Samuel lived in the temple because Eli saw something in Samuel. No, I I need that. I'm getting old. My sons don't have it. I need that. You're going to come live with me. You're going to sleep on the floor. You're going to clean the place, but I'm going to teach you what it looks like to do this. And you're going to watch me do it day in and day out, not just take notes during a session. You're going to see me do it. And that's what makes the difference. And so what they're doing is they're bringing in these couples into their home to say this is how we live this life when the microphones are off the sound systems are off and it's tuesday at 4 p.m dinner's late the kids are throwing up and the electric bill is late right like that's what they need more than being taught how to preach. Yes, they need to be taught how to preach, how to communicate, and taught theology. I'm big on that. Just a side note, please make sure your young people are learning like practical and accurate theology. Please. Oh, my goodness, please. Um, but they need to be taught life. Every, every seminar, every youth pastor intensive we've done, under the feedback, what could we do better? There's The number one thing you can ask Angela, the number one thing they always say is we need to learn more about life and ministry and how to do it all together how to raise kids and do ministry yeah it's the number one thing they ask yep. for Yep. amen well this has been really
0: good huh amen i hope you took some notes and uh you know I, I would say from a pastoral perspective this would be a great uh discussion to have with your leadership back home in a week or two from now just sit down and say listen these are some things chris said how do you think we as a group do that like, how how would you rate us? Start start an internal conversation about that before you try to externally do something with it. And you might get some really, really good feedback and insight. Chris, you said some things today that are really zippers, uh that, uh, you know, I think really, like, give us a handle to, to jump on. So so thanks. Thanks for being honest. That thing of the frustration, I don't know if that's so appropriate, but, you know. outside. <laughs> I, outside of that, Natalie, you're doing it again. You exed. I thought you got healed. <laughs> Amen. We're done. We're done. We're done. No, that was the best part, Keith. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's 10.15. Uh, We're going to take 15 minutes. Let's be back at 10.30.